developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. And now, here's Josh Peterson. John, thank you so much. We welcome back onto the podcast for the first time this school year, but for the second time, it is Malvika Shukla from the Creighton women's tennis team. Malvika, thank you so much for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am good. I, I wish that the sun was out a little bit more. Um, you know, it's been very cloudy, at least the, that we're past the uh, the cold. I, you know, along those lines, how, how was your off season as the, the, the regular season just began? How did it go for you? I think it was great. Um, we have most of the team the same as last year. So I think we have great team chemistry. Um, and I'm so excited for my final season at Creighton. I was going to ask you about that. Let's just begin. Like, is it a shock that you're already a senior? Like, what's it been like for you becoming a a veteran of the program in in what I have to imagine is a short amount of time? Yeah, it it goes by really fast, I have to say. I feel like I just got here and I'm already a senior and I'm about to graduate. Um, It goes by fast. Four years seems long, but I think it goes way faster than you think. But um, I'm so stoked for season and um, I can't wait to compete with the girls. Yeah. That's awesome. You 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 come off of an incredibly strong 2023 and you got off to a good start as well this year. Let's go to the offseason. As you entered the offseason, was there a particular part of your game that you were really hoping to improve upon ahead of your senior year? Um yeah, I feel like that's always a work in progress, but for me mostly it's like the mental aspect of the game because you can work on your shots and, you know, all the drills and stuff during practice. But I think it's so different when you're competing in a match. It's just a different mentality. Um, there's the aspect of being sharp for a match, which only comes with competing. So um, I think we focus quite a bit on set play um, and drills that were specific to each one's needs. I wanted to ask you about the mental game, given that in, in your first match of the year, you dropped the first set six to four. You were able to to tie it up and then you had a nice uh, win in the uh, third set. Like what what does working on the mental side of things look like in an offseason? How do you prepare yourself for adversity that can come within a season? Yeah, I think um, part of that is just like looking at practice, putting some pressure on yourself during practice, because sometimes you can you can be a little bit easy on yourself because you're playing your teammates and there's not that much at stake. But I think you have to think that you are competing. And I feel like that's when, so when you step out and play a match, it kind of feels the same because you have been putting that pressure on yourself during practice. So I feel like that helps a lot when you play matches because when I was playing last weekend against Wichita, um, it felt like I was playing a practice match, but I wasn't like it, there was the stakes were high. We were playing Wichita where they're a really good team. They've been ranked the past couple of years, I believe. Um, and I was match point down. In fact, and um, I like wanted by a whisker when I hit a lob over the girl when she approached. Um, I thought I, I thought I lost that point. So I was a there, there was a moment of silence and I thought the match was over and I was going to go shake hands with her. But then like two seconds later, like my entire team started cheering for me. 
which made me realize that I actually won that point. And so then the match was back and to like a point later, I had a match point and then I won. So gosh, what a, spe- <laughs> what a special moment. I- I'm curious yeah. as someone who uh, has never really played tennis before the-, the balance of preparation in terms of like working on your game as an individual versus being able to practice and compete against whether it's your teammates or other tennis players. What would you say that balance is like when you're out of season? Um, I think it's, I think it's a mix. Like, I feel like you have to focus on what you need, but also like you have to give that time for your teammates because obviously uh, the coach has to like distribute his time um, wisely because at the end of the day, the goal is for the team to win. It's and like, it's yes, it is difficult to balance being an individual because this is an individual sport, Mm -hmm. but you play it as a team sport in college. So um, I think they do a great job of focusing on what each and every one of us need at the same time, um, like managing the team as a whole. Yeah, totally. I, I, you, you mentioned that that win that you had versus Wichita, 20th Blue Jay in program history to record 100 program wins with that one. What, what did that honor mean to you? I wasn't actually keeping track, but um, after it was like, I I was reflecting upon it and I realized how um, it was a very dramatic win to say the least. Um, there was a lot of back and forth. And I think what made it very special was that my whole, I was the last person playing out there. So my whole team was stand, standing half a quarter away cheering for me. And I think I thrive in those environments where it's, I know I'm competing for the team and there's my, all my teammates, like just standing right there, like cheering for me every single point. So I do love it. I have come to love it. I didn't love it at at my freshman year, I would say, but I think over the years, it's definitely um, a big part of like my success is on court, having the girls by me. It's interesting you say that. And then going back to what you said a few minutes ago about when you're down, it, it just seems like you are very level and your your heart rate, I imagine, is kind of right where you would like it to be. It seems like you're just very in control in a lot of these big time moments. Yeah, the less I think about it, the better I do. <laughs> so sometimes when I am overthinking, I definitely feel my heart like beating really fast. But I think I did a really good job of being composed in those um, tight situations. You mentioned earlier uh, tennis is, is an individual sport, but of, of course in college, it's also the team aspect as well. What do you think about your teammates as, as you start your senior year? Oh my gosh. I I probably can't stop talking about them. It's it's They're a very big part of um, what makes college tennis at Creighton so um, memorable. And every single second on the court spent with them, off the court even. Um, all the trips, the travel, I think it all like builds um the team aspect of like it makes us really tight i feel we're very close-knit as a group um and um yeah i just love their company and i feel like that's what makes being on the court enjoyable sometimes because tennis can be frustrating (laughs) so i think having them by your side can make um those frustrating moments enjoyable yeah well, Malvika, I mean, what you said a few minutes ago, I think has resonated with me. Time time really does move fast. So uh, enjoy enjoy your senior season as, as much as you can uh, through all the ups and downs of playing. Congrats to you on that 100th victory. You're back on the road this weekend uh, going up to Minneapolis. So safe travels. Good luck the rest of the year. And thank you so much for joining us again on the podcast. Thank you. Have a great day. John, back to you. The women's tennis team has a very busy week starting Friday afternoon at Minnesota. Then on Saturday, they will travel to Minnesota State Mankato. And then next weekend, February 3rd, 
Women's tennis will be back in Omaha against Northern Iowa. Welcome back to the 1620 The Jays podcast. Baseball practice gets underway today across the country as the road to Omaha begins across all of college baseball. Of course, there's one school where the road to Omaha means home, and that's, of course, the Creighton Blue Jays. Last year, frustrating end to the season, had a chance to make the conference championship, but things did not come up the right way the final weekend of the season. But it's always good to be joined here on the pod by Creighton recruiting coordinator, hitting coach, assistant coach, Connor Gannessy joining us. Connor, good to see you again, my friend. John, it's good seeing you, man. I'm, I'm I'm used to hearing you on the radio with the hoops going on right now, but it's good to see you, man. It's always good to see you. Yeah. So going back to the end of last year and how things ended up with 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 how things came came together. What did you guys want to attack this offseason with? Not only from the guys that you knew were going to be coming back, but also in acquiring other players. Did you learn anything from last season and maybe approach changes that you wanted to make with the players you brought into the program? Yeah, it's a great question. Good one to start off. Uh, We knew that we had a solid core coming back. You know, that sophomore class is super talented. And then obviously we had some good seniors returning. um, And and we felt like the guys that we were going to bring in needed to kind of fit what we didn't do the year before. And I think to sum it up, we were kind of looking for a little bit, maybe a little more buy-in to, to winning. And, and, and I, I think just kind of a fresher new approach, um, you know, nothing against the guys that, that, that were on that club, but um, just making sure that we had the right guys in terms of chemistry to fit the guys that we had coming back. So that was a big thing with making sure that we did our due diligence with, the transfer portal. Um, it, it's obviously super hectic. It's chaotic. It happens so quickly. Um, and you're constantly trying to have to patch up holes um, that, you know, you feel like you, you need to do after the season. Um, but I think this year, I think we went a little bit further than that. And we did a little bit more of a deeper dive rather than just look at the numbers. Um, we tried to get to know the kids as much as possible in that short period of time, which is really hard to do. Yeah, uh, But I think that's something that we we did a really good job at. And then I think lastly, we were looking at kids that were a little bit more bigger and physical in stature. Um, and I think we've accomplished that. So we wanted to acquire depth. We wanted to acquire um, a couple starting pitchers. We wanted to acquire some more physical pieces to fit in the lineup. Um, and we feel like we, we've done that at this point on, on paper, at least we have. So let's talk while we're on the subject of the new players, because people like the new. They like to hear about what's exciting, what's coming in. Tell us a little bit about the guys that you that you've brought in in the portal and and what they bring to the squad. Yeah, we'll start in uh, in the outfield with Teddy Dieters. Teddy's actually from the rival Xavier. Um, now he's a Minnesota kid. Uh, we knew Teddy in high school. We didn't really have a need at the time, um, and and you know he pinched hit against us when they came out here and and you know handily beat us. Um, and and I saw that you know he continued to get better. So he hopped in the transfer portal. We saw some some video and we saw some stats up in the Northwoods League. He was hitting over, you know, 300. And, and we feel like, you know, in terms of, of what he brings to the table, I would compare it to like Jared Wagner for the fans that that remember, um, you know, Jared that played for us for four years and then went on to Arkansas. So I think like super physical, super twitchy, 
um, really, really hits the baseball and probably had the best fall that I've ever been a part of as, as long as I've been a coach. And I'll even say player. Um, I mean, it was, he didn't strike out to the last inner squad. So, I mean, it was like, <laughs> we I know mean, how he, much coach service likes to hear that. <laughs> yeah. So like everything that he touched was hit really hard. Um, and I think that the great thing about it is he's super aggressive at the plate. He's an unbelievable person and his coach abilities off the charts. And I think he's just hungry to play and he wants to win. So um teddy's teddy's off to a really fast start uh we could slide over to first first base with will macklin uh came over from umass amherst familiar with umass just because i played against them for many years as a player and as a coach um you know it's kind of a blue collar program they don't really have a lot in terms of facilities um and it is kind of in the middle of nowhere and, and will's from new hampshire and so he kind of brings almost like a Midwest flair almost like uh, I think a lot of people think the East coast is so much different than the Midwest in terms of baseball. It's the same. We all play with a chip on our shoulder uh, just because we're told that we can't go play, you know, anywhere else, but the area that we're from. So with Will, he was a conference all, you know, rookie team player, I believe Um, big physical kid, six foot three, six foot four, about 220 pounds, left-handed stick, doesn't get cheated at the plate, moves well around the bag. Uh, and, and another common theme, he's punched out 50 times in two years. Um, and that's playing, that's playing every single day. So very excited about him. Adds a physical presence. Actually played this summer for uh, former Blue Jay coach Jack Dom up in Clinton. Um, so he had a really good summer there. Uh, sliding over a couple more infielders, D3 from Wisconsin, uh, Matt Sherman and Sam Vomhoff. Both kind of tore up that league for many years. Um, Sherman was an all American last year. We think he can kind of profile at, at third base. Um, uh, again, I think he's a guy that's proven over the course of his four years that he can hit for average. He can hit for power and he doesn't have a lot of swing and miss. And then I think the, you know, as I mentioned, Sam, Sam's kind of an unorthodox second baseman. He's six foot three. Um, so it's, you know, he's going to slide somewhere third base, second base, first base, you know, he's kind of a super utility guy that can play a variety of different positions, Uh, left-handed bat, um, more of just a contact gap to gap type guy, but again, does not swing and miss a lot. So um, those were the three, four kind of, uh, I should say three, um, you know, kind of transfer portal positional players that we went after. And then in terms of the uh, two freshmen that came in, uh, Connor Capisi, who's from, you know, Omaha, local kid, um, highly touted, played in the MLB draft league as a high school senior this year, was a all-star, very plus arm behind the plate. Um, I thought I had a good arm playing. He makes me look like I have a noodle. So, um, you know, really, really good behind the plate. He might spot pitch every now and then. He's up to 94 on the mound. But, you know, we want to make sure that Hogan's got a, a good guy behind him so Hogan doesn't get beat up behind the plate. So, uh, Connor's got a good future ahead of him. Um, and then obviously the other catchers, Mason McCurdy up from Stillwater, Minnesota, very good program up there. Uh, Mason's going to provide some good depth. He handled himself well behind the plate and even at the plate. So we're excited about what he has to offer. So we really didn't bring in a ton of freshman positional guys just because the core of the offense was coming back. Um, and, and we felt like even some of the guys that redshirted last year took massive steps forward that we are very excited about. So the offense has a ton of length. Um, So 
I won't go any further, but those are those are kind of the new positional guys that that are our first years with us. And by the way, coming up on next week's pod, Connor and I will talk about the pitchers, including the newcomers coming in in the transfer portal. But we'll get to that next week. You uh, you talked about the the you know, the, the strikeout totals for a lot of these guys. And I know that is something that, you know, Ed service has always preached to me at least about, you know, the strikeouts, the least productive out. And I know that kind of goes a little bit against the modern analytics because you're looking for loft, you're looking for, you know, uh launch angle. And sometimes, you know, you got to swing big to, uh, to hit big and sometimes you miss, but was it, was there a concerted effort to look more at strikeout numbers or look at the ability to control the plate and understand uh, the strike zone, especially given where we still play, even though the ball is carrying more these days in college baseball than they used to? 100%. I actually, and you and I, I think, talked about this. I don't remember what game it was. It kind of blended all in together. But yeah, I honestly think it had a lot to do with our passiveness at the plate. And um, it was literally the second day the guys walked on campus. We had I had a PowerPoint up there ready to roll with statistics on where we stood you know, across the country in terms of aggressiveness. And we were seventh in the country in taking first pitch strikes. Um, and so basically you're starting your at-bats 0-1, and it's really hard to hit. And so then I broke it down and said, hey, here's what our batting average was as a team, 0-1 versus the country, where it could be 0-0, where it could be 1-0, 1-1, whatever it may be. So we broke it down, and it was a huge emphasis on being more aggressive. And I think this year, this fall, uh, if the numbers off the top of my head, we were at a 16 and a half percent strikeout rate, which would have been 40th in the country. Um, so it was very low. The power was up. Uh, the, the runs were up. We, we, again, it, it's the fall. I get it, but we performed very, very well this fall at the plate in terms of being aggressive, controlling the strike zone. I think the more aggressive you are at the plate, the more better understanding you'll have of the strike zone. And I think if you're passive and you're automatically going up there and taking, uh, I think you're going to second guess on whether or not you're going to swing and you're going to be caught in between. So I really want that to carry over to the spring. Um, I think this team is capable of doing it. It's an older group. It's a mature group. But the only way we're going to be successful as an offense is if we swing early and we're aggressive inside of the strike zone. So let's look at the position uh, players. And you mentioned Will Macklin, uh, one of the transfers, certainly going to be in the mix at first base. I know last year Sterling Hayes ended up playing that position quite a bit uh, and shifting kind of back and forth between that and shortstop. Sterling's obviously done now, but what does that look like at first base, which is such a huge position because you're saving a lot of errors, even though we have had a great reputation for great middle infield and infield play in general. Saving errors is a huge, huge spot in the college game. What, do you, what does it look like at first base? Yeah, I think it's going to be a combination. You got Will, obviously. Um, you know, his bat has to play. Um, I don't think he's going to kill you defensively. I think he moves well around the bag. He's got a good feel. Um, and, and you know, he kind of played a little bit of outfield, a little bit of first base, but he's certainly more comfortable at first base. Uh, so I think he'll be over there. I think Jack Grace will get an opportunity to also be over there. He'll bounce between first DH and also corner outfield. Um, we just have so many outfielders that deserve to play. Um, you know, I think it's I think it's between those two guys. And then obviously you got Kobe Canales that came back and Kobe kind of came on late at, with the bat. Um, you know, so there's some competition over there. Uh, but I think it's going to be some, you know, form of that kind of combination with those guys. 
Looking at the middle infield, which has been always a strength in this program's history. Uh, I know Megzi is back this year. Uh, we've seen we've seen a lot of different guys kind of rotate through those spots. How does it look up the middle this season? I know you're probably used to saying that. I'm actually going to correct you on your own show. Megzi's gone. Um, okay. Megzi. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm looking at the stats from last year. So look <laughs> at me. Look no, you know what? I don't, I don't even I don't even blame you for that because I feel like if Meg spent one more year, they would probably name a building after him on campus. He was that's there. true, but you know nowadays we got tight ends playing nine years in college. So that's <laughs> sorry, that's Andrew. Fair. Good luck wherever you. Are. <laughs> um. So the the infield we have a lot of different options. So you got Matt Sherman, who I mentioned, um, who could play you know second base, third base. You got Kyle Hess, who's coming back off an injury. Uh, second base, third base. You got Nolan Clifford, second base, shortstop, name a position that Nolan can't play. Right. Uh, you know, second base, shortstop. You got Ben North, who had a very good summer. He struggled mightily at the plate last year. Um, went out this summer, hit 275, 280, was an all-star in the Northwoods League, which we were very proud of him. I think the one thing that we were super proud about Ben is that it never affected his defense. Um, you know, he struggled drastically at the plate, you know, didn't hit his body weight, was well under his body weight. Uh, but he continued to push through, and he's made some really good strides this offseason. It's still a work in progress, but he's going to have a good year. Um, so you got him. You can look at him at, at shortstop or third base. You know, there's a possibility that he sticks at shortstop. Uh, then you got Cooper Dulick. Cooper had a really good summer out in California. Again, a really good physical-looking kid, uh, good body. He throws the absolute hell out of it across the infield. So you can look at Coop at third base. And then you got Sam Vomhoff, who I mentioned, very versatile, whether it's second base or third base. And then Jack Scary, who redshirted last year. So you kind of have a lot of different options that you can do. Um, I think Ben and, and, and Nolan will be in there. Um, and then I think, you know, it's kind of up to what happens, whether, you know, Ben stays at short or moves back to third. Um, but I think it's it, it, what we wanted to accomplish, Bish, was that we were going to have options. And I felt like last year, if we had an injury or somebody was slumping, we rolled with the same people. And I think this year there's competition, and that's a really, really good thing. The players hate it. We as a staff love it. You know, well, and, I think- and, and we've seen it. We've seen it elsewhere. I mean, having that positional flexibility when you can see guys, you know, like a uh, like a Chris Bryant move from first base, third base, outfield. I mean, you want that because you never know. Uh, where either an injury is going to happen or you can rework a lineup based on and really give yourself a strength based on your pitching matchup. Absolutely. So I think that's something that, you know, coach is going to have a lot of fun doing, you know, it's going to, he's going to have some choices, which, you know, is what he wanted. He he told the staff, he sat down and said, Hey, we got to have more depth. We got to have more choices in deciding what we're doing with this lineup. So um, I think I mentioned like seven or eight guys, you know, that can play, yeah. Somewhere between second, short, and third. And that's a good thing to have. And and we're going to find out who obviously takes that lead in the next three weeks. But we kind of have a good idea. Um, but, you know, the next three weeks are going to be very pivotal for the, for the guys in terms of, of who's deciding who makes the lineup. Last year was a little bit of a change of pace. And some of it was just because Hogan was doing so well for most of the season. But typically we've, you know, gone usually too deep at catcher. But Hogan caught a lot of innings last season. Obviously, he's back this year, had a great year last year, hitting 314. What do you see behind Hogan? And will there be a little more flexibility behind the plate? 
Yeah, I think Connor's capable of doing it. It's really hard as a freshman. I mean, Hogan struggled his first couple of weeks as a freshman catching. Um, yeah. I think I think in Portland we caught four catchers, which I, I've never done before in my life. Um, so I think it, it's 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 you know Hogan's going to catch the bulk share of the innings, but I think Connor provides. You know, he can shut the running game down. He's a good blocker. He can receive well. The bats just got to come, which, again, as a freshman, you're not super concerned about in terms of being a freshman catcher. You're not ultra concerned with, hey, this kid's got to hit 300. Um, you know, you're more worried about, is he is the pitching staff comfortable throwing to him? Um, that is the biggest thing because they're super comfortable throwing to Hogan. Uh, so I think they are. He's done well this fall. Um, and I think it's those two guys, but I mean, if you look around the league, if you look around the country, I mean, really like one guy catches a majority of the time. I think we've been kind of spoiled here where we've had two guys that can right. be able to handle that workload. Um, we like it because again, you don't want to kill your catcher come may. If you're making a post postseason run, you want to make sure he's got his legs underneath them. And I know you mentioned Jack a little bit earlier in terms of the first base mix, but as we move to the outfit, and let's just talk about Jack specifically, because he was one of a couple of players who made the all-conference preseason team, had a great year last year, power, hitting 11 home runs a season ago. What's the next step for Jack? Staying healthy. <laughs> um, so true. <laughs> you know, like for a kid that hit 290 with 11 home runs on one leg is pretty impressive. Um, you know, there were many times where he was Kirk Gibson around second base. I mean, it, it took a while for him to get around the bag, and I, I actually think he probably would have hit better if he could run a little bit better. He's a really good runner. Um, but there were balls that he just couldn't beat out because he was, you know, the knee to the heel. And it just, it was a tough season for him in terms of staying healthy. And I think that's Jack's biggest deal. I mean, the year before he tried to make a robbing home run down at K state and, you know, popped his shoulder out. So it's just some weird injuries. Um, so we're kind of seeing like, okay, can we stay, can Jack stay healthy if we DH him? Um, because we have, you know, Dieters that can slide into right field. And then, you know, we got Tate Gillen, you know, and Nolan Sailors in the outfield. And that doesn't even include the other three guys that, or other two guys that I'd like to talk about. Three guys, I should say. So there's a lot of depth out there. So I think Jack, it's like, okay, could we keep him healthy at first? Could we keep him healthy DHing? We're looking for options to say what's going to keep Jack on the field over the entire season. Um, and I, he's extremely open to it. I think most guys that you know are that age and you want to make a positional change, or, or you're saying like, hey, you're just going to DH. They kind of give you a look. Jack's like, whatever I can do to help this team, let's do it. And, you know, he's obviously going to be in there for his bat. Now we just got to figure out what's the best option for him in terms of positional. And let's talk about the rest of that depth that you're looking forward to in the outfield. So the first one I'll bring up is Kyler Zukowski, Wisconsin kid. Um, he redshirted last year. He's a five-tool athlete, though. He's a he's a unbelievable runner. He's got an unbelievable arm. He had a tremendous fall for us. Um, you know, very kind of like if you've seen Alan Roden's new stance, it's kind of like modeled after that. They mm. both played in the same program in the summer um, up in Wisconsin, but it's he's coming, man. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, every day he shows up in the cage and it's just like, bam, bam, bam. And we have the track man up and it's 105 plus. And, you know, it's fun to flip him front toss or throw BP to him because the ball just comes off there like a gunshot. So really, really excited to see what Kyler does for us. Uh, we got Jack Tarosian, who's a local kid. Jack also redshirted last year. Uh, had a great summer this summer. Um, you know, kind of just a grinder and just a, 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 a like a most guys would call it a gym rat in basketball, but um, just does every little thing right. Plays defense at a high level. 
good athlete, good bat to ball skills, can play the small game, can also drive a ball in the gap as well. So Jack's Jack's going to be in there as well. And then we got Zane Scancy, who also redshirted last year as a transfer from Utah. Um, again, very physical kid, good athlete. Um, and he's got the ability to play defense at a high level. So he hit really well this fall. So like when I say we could go seven deep in the outfield, we could. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, who's hot at that time. Because the first three with Dieter, Sailors, and Gillen, you know, it's pretty hard to beat. That's going to be, you know, one of the best outfields in the Midwest, in my opinion. Next week here on the 1620 The Jays podcast, Connor will rejoin me and we will go over Creighton's pitching staff for 2024. Before the season gets started and while practice is going on, it's the annual Hilltoppers Baseball of Nebraska Creighton Baseball Steak Fry. That'll be coming up on Saturday, February 3rd. It's the annual fundraiser for Blue Jay Baseball. This year's event will be at Cascio Steakhouse on South 10th Street. The keynote speaker this year will be Mariners manager Scott Service, of course, the nephew of head coach Ed Service. Kyle Peterson of ESPN will be there as the MC, and you've got an opportunity to be in a silent auction, talk with Creighton baseball coaches and players, and enjoy a great meal all at Cascio's. The individual dinners are at $75 for adults. Kids' meals are only $25, or you can reserve a table of eight with any combination of adult and kids' meals for $500. For more information, visit HilltoppersBaseballOfNebraska.com. That's HilltoppersBaseballOfNebraska.com, the annual Creighton Baseball Steak Fry, Saturday, February 3rd at Cascio's. And that will wrap things up for this week on the 1620 The Jays podcast. Another reminder that the Creighton versus Cancer Pinkout game will be on Saturday night at 6 p.m. We'll have coverage on 1620 The Zone and 101.9 The Keg. If you cannot be at the game, we would strongly ask for a generous donation to the Hope Lodge Nebraska, the benefactor of the Creighton versus Cancer Pinkout efforts. You can donate by going to cancer.org slash pinkout. That's cancer.org slash pinkout. Until next week, for Connor Happer and Josh Peterson, I'm John Bishop. The 1620 The Jays podcast is a co-presentation of Creighton University Athletics and NRG Media Omaha. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
Hi, Jays fans, and welcome to the 1620 The Jays podcast. I'm your host, John Bishop. I'll be joined by Connor Happer and Josh Peterson with a loaded show this week. We're going to talk to the reigning Big East Conference Women's Singles Tennis Player of the Week, Malvika Shulkla. Also, Stephen Ashworth, Creighton point guard, will visit with Connor Happer. And a little bit later on, my conversation with Creighton baseball assistant coach and recruiting coordinator, Connor Gandesey, as we preview the 2024 Blue Jays. It's all coming up this week on the 1620 The Jays podcast. But of course, this is a very special week for Creighton Athletics. It is the week of the annual Creighton versus Cancer Pinkout game. We've raised well over $30,000 in the Jersey auction, which is one of our best totals of all time, which brings our grand total to over a half million dollars raised for the Hope Lodge, Nebraska. And we certainly hope you have an opportunity, if you are attending the Creighton versus Cancer Pinkout game Saturday night, to donate to the Hope Lodge. The Nebraska Cancer Specialist will be matching donations up to $30,000. And all you have to do when you get to the game is make sure you shoot your camera at the QR code that will be on the back of all of those I Stand Up To Cancer cards, and that'll take you right to the website where you can make a donation, or you can make a donation direct to the Hope Lodge, Nebraska. Just visit cancer.org slash pinkout. Again, that's cancer.org slash pinkout. Well, on that note, let's talk some Creighton basketball. Steven Ashworth, Creighton's point guard. Off to a rocky start earlier this season, but boy, have things turned around quickly for Ashworth. While the three-point shot hasn't been there yet, his defense has really been improved. There were times earlier this season where Ashworth wasn't even on the floor in the last five to seven to ten minutes of a game because he was such a liability. But now a change in attitude, and he is out there and playing some of the best basketball he has played so far with the Blue Jays. While the three-point shot hasn't been there yet, the assist-to-turnover ratio has been excellent. He is at 41-9 to in Big East games, and over the last two games, two very hard-fought emotional wins over Seton Hall and Xavier, his assist-to-turnover ratio is 15-1. to Let's turn things over now to Connor Happer. And we're joined now on the 42 Degrees, the source hotline by Creighton Blue Jay point guard Stephen Ashworth. Stephen, how are you today? Doing great today, yep. Loving uh, loving where we're at. And life is good, can't complain. Hey, by the way, how many people have asked you lately like a, a very pointed question and how are you feeling? Um <laughs> I don't know. I mean I, I don't know if that's exactly how they've how they've asked it, how am I feeling, but <laughs> I mean I'm feeling good. Yeah. I mean, you guys are you guys are running around. I mean, you you got the band-aid over your eye and uh everybody, you know, ends the game with scratches all over their body. You know, that's that's just life in the big east, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean it's a it's a physical thing and you know, the conference is uh, you know, built for toughness and so you gotta be tough in order to survive. So I, I wanted to get your, your your sort of opinion on that. Like you've been around for a while and, and you've seen a lot of college basketball. Um, and now that you've experienced, you know, basically a half a season in the in the Big East, what what is different? Obviously, there's the thing that everybody talks about in, in the physicality and and how how physical you have to be in order to compete in the league. But like from from your point of view and comparing it to your to your past, like what is different about the Big East? Yeah, I mean, a lot of things are similar. I mean, it's still you know it's still college basketball. Uh, you know, there's high-level talent in, in all levels of college basketball. And so, 
you know, looking at it from the lens of what's different from maybe my past experiences, I'd say that like uh, on any given play, there's just going to be a little bit more physical type of plays going on. You know, whether it's a guard having to rotate to a to a big man to go box out, or um, you know, switching in the post and then having to fight the fronts. Like, I think there's a lot more of those types of plays that are occurring just based on the types of offenses that are being run in the Big East, and so. You know, that's something that I definitely noticed and, you know, have, uh, I think, adapted to and adjusted well to. And then, you know, kind of just having that mentality that, you know, you've got to be, you know, the biggest, you know, fighter out there if you're going to be able to, you know, be on the court as maybe, you know, a smaller guard. And so um, I think that just taking the, the pride in that has been, you know, a good change and a good adjustment. And, that's probably the biggest difference that I noticed from from different aspects of college basketball. Well, Mac mentioned it a couple nights ago after the Xavier game, and and obviously it's been it's been on full display recently. The just the adjustments that you've made is it is it more in an adapt you know an adaption of the mindset of getting prepared for that, or you know literally while you're out there, just things being a little bit more difficult for you. Just Take us behind what changed for you recently as you guys have gotten down into the into the stretch of the season here. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, you know, there's there's obviously an adjustment period of getting used to um, schemes, getting used to what's important to you know our success and winning because you know teams do everything differently, and so there might be some things that became second nature to me um, with with previous coaching staffs that I just. I just knew that if I would get to these spots, this is where I'd be successful. And, um, and that's kind of based on the game plan and just the way that, you know, that coach wanted the game to be played. And so I think adjusting to kind of a, a new scheme and a, you know, a completely new team for me was kind of the, the biggest thing in the first few games, or maybe even, you know, the non-conference schedule was just trying to find my way of on the defensive end. Where do I need to get to be successful and to be a great defender on the offensive end? Or do I need to get to be able to be, you know, a great offensive player for the team? And, and what is, you know, needed on every given possession on both ends of the ball? And so I think that kind of, you know, really doing a lot of homework in the film room and watching film on my own has been a, you know, a huge asset and, um, and a huge reason why I would say I'm, I'm probably playing at a, at, a, at a higher level and at the level that I expected myself to be playing the entire year. And so, you know, that's a big key. But then at the same time, just – you get more comfortable. And once you're more comfortable, you're more confident. Um, you're not thinking as much, and you can just go play. How have you dealt with so maybe the frustrations of, of the shots? I mean, you, you were just talking about it a little bit. Maybe the shots not falling as much as you would want them to on the offensive end, but also staying engaged and, and doing what's asked of you, plus some on the defensive side. And then, and then of course, you have to sort of stay in the offensive game plan even if the shots aren't falling. Like I, th- I imagine that's been an adjustment for you. Like How have you sort of dealt with those frustrations this year? Yeah, I mean, it's, you're obviously going to have you know, highs and lows, and I think that that's what is a, you know, a true, true tell sign of, of somebody's character and somebody's you know, mental toughness is are they able to stay engaged in the game you know, whether things are going great or whether things are, are not so great. And for me, you know, I've, you know, it's a thing of trusting your training. I've spent, you know, thousands and thousands of hours. Um, and, you know, I, I talk with, you know, family, friends, you know, close people. And it's like, 
you know, a six foot point guard doesn't make it in the big East without a high level of skill and talent. And so it's like, you know, I have confidence in myself and my abilities and I know that I've put in the work to, to be where I'm at and that, you know, when, when the moment's its biggest, I know that I can deliver and, you know, I feel like at times I have and at times I haven't. And so it's just continuing to trust that training and stay, you know, ready for any play because your opportunity could come, you know, at any moment. Great guard Stephen Ashworth is with us. You, Trey Alexander, Ryan Kalkbrenner, Baylor Shireman, you guys are playing some ridiculous minutes right now. A lot of that comes from, you know, when you play in a triple overtime game. We talked about sort of what that might do to your body and the, ju- and the adjustments that come with that. But on the other side... I mean, what is what is your chemistry level with those guys right now compared to what it might have been at the beginning of the year? Yeah, I mean, I think anybody can can imagine that it's that it's better just because you know yeah. more time, more reps, more opportunities, and so um, I think our chemistry right now is in a really really good place. I think that on the court, or off the court, we're having a lot of fun being around each other, being together, and. I think that it's you know that's an important thing about a team that I think at times goes goes underlooked is like just how how much do you like being around those guys when when it's not practice or a game like and I think that that we have a special connection with this with this entire team and you know outside of kind of just us four um, and that like it's it's fun to be around each other and so that always makes it a lot more enjoyable on the court and then also at the same time it's like you're on the road for five straight days the other week and it's like you start the road trip with a disappointing loss then you're able to stay together and then have a really really good win at the end of that and I think a lot of teams that don't like being around each other would probably lose that second game on a road trip like that but you know it's just the a testament to the character of guys that we have on the team and great job of the coaching staff of, of finding the right guys recruiting the right guys and and building the right culture here at Creighton. I think there's a lot of ways that that sort of manifests itself. I go back to, you know, you, you come back from a long road trip last week and the triple ending with the triple overtime game on the East Coast, and you, you fly back, and it's a one-day prep for Xavier, who's a completely different team, and you guys are, you know, I was there at practice on Monday, and you guys are out on the floor for an hour, and of course you're getting shots up at the at the end of practice as well. Like, what does the time in between games look like right now especially in that stretch that you just came off of where you're playing a whole bunch of games in a short period of time yeah i mean it's it's short days or long days you know however you want to describe it it's like short in the amount of time that you get to prep but then you know a long day of of trying to get the body recovered trying to get the mind right and then also just studying you know because you get back on a saturday and then we're playing on a tuesday so, you know, you, you wish you could possibly have an off day that Sunday, but you got to go right back to work. we got to be in the gym, walk through their stuff, watch film of the previous game, of the game that we're about to play. And so it's a lot of mental work. I think that in, in conference play, um, you know, you see how some, day, some days there's short turnarounds, some days there's long turnarounds for teams, and how do teams, you know, prepare for that and what type of game plans do they have. And then obviously without, you know, knowing what's going to change in the game, you got to be ready to adapt and adjust as well. And so, you know, this team's done a really good job of in between those game days of just making sure that we're locked in, that we're prepared, and that we're spending our time in useful ways because it's like, yes, you got to get in extra reps to make sure that everything's feeling good, but at the same time, you got to make sure that your body's 
in a place to where you're you're primed and ready to go on game day. So you got to get that rest as well. So we talked about collectively your guys' experience and and chemistry just on the floor with each other and and how that may you know affect you positively as well. Like you know you can you could even there's going to be games going forward and there has been games already where you're in wild situations at the ends of games and you know maybe maybe you're tired but it's also you know you you know where each other are going to be and you know who can who can sort of make the plays and who needs the ball as well like how much does that experience sort of help you in these kind of crazy wild either end of game situations or end of half situations like how has that sort of manifested itself so far this year yeah i think that it's uh you know a lot of it's a mentality of just pushing through that fatigue and you know i think it starts in in the preseason even you know in those long practices a lot of extra conditioning in those moments and then um maintaining the body uh, you know, we've got Jeremy Anderson, our strength coach, Ben McNair, and then, you know, also a massage therapist, Julie, that, that they do a great job of, of keeping our bodies primed for those moments. So then when we're in the game, it's just trusting that we're ready to go, you know, that we've done the prep. And then, you know, every single guy on the court is, you know, a high, high-level player, has aspirations to play after college basketball. And it's, it's not like that on every team, right? Some some guys college basketball is, is the ultimate and, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that, but to be able to play on a team where, you know, there's guys that are in, in the gym every day with, with high individual aspirations, it just makes those team aspirations right on that same level, you know? And so, uh, you know, there's confidence in every single guy going, you know, going out there to be able to make a play, make the right read, um, you know, or, or get us a bucket if you need to, which is, which is really big in those clutch moments, whether it's we're down by seven in the first half and we need to claw back to get it to one like we did the other night or, you know, down seven again um, in the second half and, and just finding a way and, and staying true to who we are and then, you know, never overreacting and, and never underreacting to a situation that we're in. How do you guys balance um, sort of the the big picture with, you know, and what you just talked about, the goals and aspirations for you guys as a team, what you want to be at the end of the year versus, you know, this is, you know, every single night is going to be its own separate challenge. And then you find yourself, you know, sort of taking a deep breath at the end of the game. How do you, how do you sort of balance the one game at a time versus the, the, the big picture and what you guys want to be? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a lot of, I mean, it's, it's like life too. You know, you take care of the small things and the, and the big things will work out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's like, yes, there, there's those goals of, um, you know, winning Big East championships, you know, winning national championships, all those things. But at the same time, you never get to that without, you know, tackling the film session, without, you know, being locked in and walked through without, you know, finishing practice strong and communicating. And then it's like, okay, it's game day, you know. It, all those goals don't happen if we don't win this game. And so I think that you can have those overarching goals, but it's, it's more so about just, just being present and being in the moment, you know. And that's, that's good or bad. And I think that Coach Mack has done a really good job of, of reminding us in moments where maybe things aren't going well. It's like, hey, you can't do anything about that last play. Just be in the present, you know, next play mentality. And, um, and I think that mentality takes, takes those great teams, you know, a long, long way, which, you know, most of the time helps them accomplish their, their team goals. Hey, how much do you just personally enjoy 
playing at home. It'll be another cool environment. We'll talk about that in a second uh, coming up on on Saturday night. But I, I love those moments where you know maybe you get a stop on the defensive end or you get a three or you get a big bucket on the other end. And I watch I watch your guys' bench and then I watch you guys on the floor and everybody is collectively sort of doing the hey get up you know that type of thing. How, how much of how much you know do you just have you enjoyed playing at home this year and in, in, in that building in front of really good crowds? Yeah, I mean playing at CHI it's it's next level for sure. Um, you know from the from the graphics and the light show to the beginning to the crowd getting on their feet, like it's, it's there's nothing like it, honestly. And um, you know, to be able to fill an 18,000 seat arena on a on a nightly basis is is a huge thing for a college program. And so, you know, we love it. It's so fun to have uh, you know the crowd that we do, and um, you know that place gets rocking, especially when the students are into it, leading it all, and then you know getting the fans on their feet and making big plays. And so. It's super fun, and the atmosphere and environment are, are special. And, um, you know, we just got our, our pink shoes to break in and, uh, you know, going to wear them in practice today. So I'm already, I'm already looking forward to the atmosphere on Saturday for sure. Well, we'll leave you on that then. What, this is your first run through the pink out game. Um, it's, it's, it's been a big deal around here for, for a long time now. What have you been told about, about the game itself and, and sort of what are you looking forward to most about it on Saturday? I mean, I, I've seen it on TV before. I, I mean, I've been, a, you know, a viewer of the game and thought it was super cool. And it's how the whole crowd is, is pink. The jerseys are pink. You know, the auction leading up to it, everything like that to support, you know, the fight against cancer. And so, um, you know, personally, I've heard stories of, you know, there's just not a dry eye in the building. It's a very emotional game, uh, you know, a very touching game to kind of remember in the heat of the moment, you know, what, what's really important, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, it is just the game that we're playing, but, you know, it's a game that brings a lot of joy to a lot of people and to be able to, you know, raise awareness for things like this and, and support a great cause through the game is, is something that's super special. And so, um, you know, I can't, I can't wait. My family's going to be in town. Uh, I have a sister-in-law who, who just overcame uh, a battle of cancer and, uh, you know, an uncle who, just recently passed away so to be able to kind of you know commemorate and honor them will be you know a special thing for me and my family as well